Well, good morning, Plum Creek. I want to welcome everybody here today, especially if you happen to be new to our church. And I want to say up front, I have a bit of a cold today, so if I seem a little off, that may be why. That's today's excuse anyway. But it's great to be together. It's also great to hear Dylan talk about what God is doing over in Nepal. You know, it, it's kind of an amazing thing. All of us who follow Jesus, we have relatives in Nepal. We have genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. We may come from opposite sides of the globe. We may speak different languages and live in very different cultures, but we are a part of the same family because we've been adopted into God's family. That's going to be the theme as we jump back into our series on Galatians this morning. We're going to look at what it means to be adopted by God. And I don't know if that concept sounds exciting to you right away, but the reality is, if God has adopted you to be His child, that's about the best thing that could ever happen to you. We're going to see that today in Galatians. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to look at a small section of this letter, just 11 verses, starting from the end of chapter 3 and going through the early part of chapter 4. And this section marks the halfway point of Paul's letter, but it's also the heart of his message. You may recall that Paul was writing to a group of churches that had sort of lost their way. They, They lost sight of the true gospel of Jesus. They drifted into a warped version of Christianity, and in this warped version, they canceled out the freedom that God wants for all of us. So Paul wrote this letter to help these churches get back on track, and in the section we'll read today, in the very heart of Galatians, Paul says, hey guys, I need you to understand, God has chosen you to be a part of His family. You get to be His child. And that changes everything. Being adopted by God is a powerful concept. The Christians in Galatia needed to stop and think about this, and the truth is we do too. So let's dive in. I've divided these 11 verses into several sections, and you'll find them printed on the note sheet in your bulletin. And we'll go through these sections one at a time, and we'll start with a couple of verses that we actually read last week, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. Follow along with me as I read this. It says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So right here, we've reached the high point of Paul's letter to the Galatians. This is the summit. He says, If you have a life-changing relationship with Jesus, if you are in Christ, you are now children of God. And some of us might read that and we might think, yeah, but couldn't you say that everybody in the world is a child of God? And you do hear that a lot, right? People will say, all of us are God's children. And to some extent, that is true. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching a sermon in the city of Athens and he says, yes, all of us are God's offspring. And by that, he means that we've all been created by God. But over here in Galatians 3, is that what Paul is talking about? Actually, no. In this passage, Paul is talking about a special connection with God. It's a a close father-child relationship, and many people don't have that. 
That was true back in Paul's day, and it's true in the present as well. Many people in our world today are disconnected from God. As of this moment, they are outside of his family. And if nothing changes, they will be separated from God forever. So how do you get into this family? How can someone become a child of God in this greater sense? Well, we just read that, didn't we? So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. A couple of important things here. First, Paul says, you are children of God through faith. And that goes right along with what we've seen the past few weeks, right? Paul said, we are justified or made right with God through faith in Jesus. It's not by working hard to be good enough. It's not by obeying a set of rules and trying to get a passing grade from God. And that was the exact problem in the Galatian churches, wasn't it? Some of the Jewish Christians made this claim. They said, if you want to be accepted by God, you do that by following the rules. And they were especially thinking of the Jewish laws and rituals from the Old Testament. But Paul was very adamant. He said, no. The, the law system doesn't work. No one can be saved by trying to obey the law. You have to stick to the gospel. And we've seen throughout this series, the gospel is the good news about God's grace. Instead of trying to live up to an impossible standard, we can be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. It's a gift. And when you begin this faith-based relationship with Jesus, you're not only baptized into Christ, you are adopted into God's family. And from that point on, God looks at you differently. He doesn't look at you and see a rotten sinner anymore. God looks at you and he sees Jesus. Did you catch that in what we just read? Paul said, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So in a very real sense, the gospel allows us to take on the identity of Christ. Now, I don't mean that we become equal to Jesus or we become who he is. It's more like we're dressed up as Jesus, like we're as good or as righteous as he is. And the crazy thing is, God treats us like that's the reality. Now, I need to pause here for a second and ask you, do you believe this? If you are a follower of Jesus, do you really believe that you have taken on the identity of Christ? That can be a hard thing to believe because in my case, I know that I'm not even close to living out the example of Jesus. I still have way too many moments when I get selfish or I lose my temper or I don't treat others well or I don't treat God well. And, you know, God sees that because he sees everything. So how can it be that God looks at me and he sees the perfection of Jesus? I was thinking through that dilemma this week and an illustration popped into my head. When I was a kid, there was a show on TV called The Greatest American Hero. If you lived through the 80s, you might remember this. Um, you might even remember the theme song. Uh, anybody remember that? You want me to sing it a little bit? Went like this. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Thank you for singing with me. Ah, uh, man. Please. <laughs> I would love to sing the rest of it for you, but my humility will not let me. 
anyway, here's what this show is about. The main character was a guy named Ralph, and Ralph got a visit from these aliens who gave him a super suit. And whenever he wore this super suit, he had these amazing powers like the ability to fly and super strength and x-ray vision and all kinds of things. But the problem was Ralph lost the instruction manual that came with the suit. So he was actually a a pretty bad superhero. Um, For example, the suit allowed him to fly, but he really struggled with takeoffs and landings and flying gracefully, and a lot of times he ended up crashing through a wall and landing in a heap on the ground. And I know this comparison is a little strange, but in a weird way, this is kind of what it's like to be clothed with Christ. Because in one sense, it's like we've been given a super suit. We've been clothed with the identity of Christ, and that's what God sees when he looks at us. But in another sense, we still struggle, don't we? We're like Ralph, the greatest American hero, And when he had the suit on, he was a legitimate superhero. He just had a hard time living out this super identity. And it's similar to the way we struggle to live out the example of Jesus. We can't seem to love God and love others perfectly at all times. We try to fly, but we crash and we fail. But that's why the gospel is good news. The gospel gives us a status that we don't deserve. We go from 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven because we wear the righteousness of Jesus. You could think of it like a super suit. And one of the great things about the gospel is, is this identity. It's available to anyone. Let's read the next couple of verses in Galatians 3. Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, it's very easy to miss the significance of what Paul is saying here. A lot of people try to take that first verse out of context and try to use it in a way that's just not accurate. They'll look at verse 28 and they'll say, you see that? Jesus cancels out all distinctions between all people. And you especially hear that from someone who's trying to erase the distinctions between men and women. The truth is, though, many passages of Scripture are very clear that there are differences between men and women. So that's not what Paul is doing here. Look at the context. What what has Paul been saying? He's saying that Everyone in Christ is equally valued and equally accepted by God. It's no accident that we see three specific categories of people here. Gentiles, slaves, and women. Because in first century Jewish culture, all three of these categories were considered lower than a Jewish free man. In fact, Right around this same time in history, Jewish men were taught to pray a certain prayer that went like this. Blessed art thou, God, for you have not made me a Gentile. Blessed art thou, for you have not made me a slave. And blessed art thou, for you have not made me a woman. Now, we hear that today and we're like, yikes, that's pretty offensive. Uh, But let's be clear, that's not scripture. That was just a prayer that some rabbi made up. But God's word, especially in the first century, it was revolutionary. It was very empowering for women and slaves and Gentiles. 
Scripture tells us that the gospel is available to anyone, whatever your gender, whatever your social status, whatever your ethnicity. Everybody has the opportunity to be clothed with Christ and take on his identity. That message is amazing. And why? It's because taking on the identity of Christ allows us to be fully adopted by God. So you don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be a biological descendant of Abraham. Anyone can be grafted into God's family. That's why Paul says, if if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed. The gospel levels the playing field. Doesn't matter who you are, God invites you to receive the blessings that come from being his child. So what are those blessings? Why is it such a big deal to be adopted by God? Well, let's read on. We're up to Galatians chapter 4, and let's read there, starting with verse 1. Paul writes, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So Paul loves illustrations, and in this passage, he's painting a picture. He wants us to think about a young boy who is the heir of a great estate. And as long as this child is underage, he's no different than a slave because he has no control of his fortune. But when this child does come of age, he also comes into his inheritance. And this picture would have been very familiar to Paul's readers. Because in Roman times, a child was under the care of a trustee or a guardian, at least until the age of 14. And at age 14, the child was given a limited amount of responsibility. But it wasn't until age 25 that an adult male had full control of his inheritance. And by the way, if you were a woman at that time, you were out of luck. Only a son could be in line to get an inheritance. This period in history was not a great time for women. But what is Paul saying here? What's the point? The point is this. When a child is underage, he he doesn't have access to the inheritance, and that is a little like us. Our position is somewhat like a biological child who hasn't come of age yet, but the truth is we have even more in common with a child slave that grows up in this same wealthy household. And a slave would not expect to inherit the fortune, right? And that's how we started out, right? We we know what it's like to be slaves. We've been slaves to sin. Because as hard as we try, we just can't break free of sin on our own. We've also been slaves to guilt and to shame and to fear and to hopelessness. So yeah, we know what slavery is like. But then Paul says, we're like a child slave who grows up in this wealthy estate. And then for whatever reason, this rich father decides to adopt us and make us a child of his own. That's what's happening in verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the set time had fully come, when it was time for Jesus to enter the world and establish this new system of grace... That's when God sent His Son. Jesus came to redeem all of us who were slaves under the law. And why? He did that so that 
we might receive adoption to sonship. God wanted to adopt us and make us a part of his family. He wanted to give us a full share of the inheritance, and that's why Paul specifically uses the word sonship here. It's because daughters were not eligible. So let's make a short list of some blessings that come from being adopted by God. Uh, We could make a long list, but I'll, I'll mention just three blessings today. The first one is what we were just talking about. Being adopted by God means we are freed from slavery. In Christ, we are free from the guilt of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. We're also freed from a life of constant fear, wondering whether or not God will accept you. God has already chosen you to be His child. You know, one of the amazing things about adoption is that it is a choice. Parents are not forced to adopt. They choose to adopt. I know we have several families here at Plum Creek that have chosen to be foster parents. We also have several families who have adopted at least one child. Recently, I know many of you have followed the story of Scott and Jackie Raw, who traveled all the way to Lithuania to adopt their beautiful daughter, Samantha. And whenever a child is adopted into a loving family, it's such a powerful picture of what God has done for us. Because you know, a lot of families don't make that choice, so it kind of makes you want to ask, why? What motivates certain parents to bring a child into their family? Well, there's a well-known preacher and author named David Platt, and he and his wife have adopted multiple children. And in one of his books, David tells a story about his son, Caleb, who they adopted from Kazakhstan. One day, David and Caleb were playing together, and I want to read you the story from David's perspective. He says, at one point while we were playing, I told Caleb that I loved him. And he stopped and he said, you love me? And I said, yeah, buddy, I do. And then Caleb asked what seems to be his favorite question. He said, why? And I told him, because you're my son. So he asks the question again, why? And this time I thought to myself, now that's a good question. Out of all the children in the world, why is this precious little boy standing in front of me my son? And David thought back on all the ups and downs that he and his wife had experienced in the years before they adopted Caleb. And he actually teared up for a moment while his son stood there looking a little confused. But David finally gave Caleb an answer. He said, you're our son because we wanted you. And we came to get you so that you might have a mommy and a daddy. And then David Platt makes the connection to our relationship with God. He says, if you've been adopted by God, doesn't it amaze you when he tells you that he loves you? And don't you sometimes wonder, why, God, why do you love me? And the answer is the same, because you are my child. And you could rightfully say, but I don't deserve that. I'm a hopeless sinner. Why would I be called your child? And God says, because I wanted you. I came to get you so that you might know me as father. So in the fullness of time, at just the right point in history, Jesus came into this world on a mission. The Father sent His Son to come get us. Galatians 4, 5 says that Christ came to redeem us. And do you know what that word means? 
In ancient times, the word redeem often means to pay the price that secures a slave's freedom. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He paid a price, a terrible price, so that you and I could be free. And all of us who belong to Jesus today, we need to remember how much our freedom cost. Jesus went through so much pain for you and for me. We know about the physical pain that Jesus endured as he was beaten and nailed to the cross. We also know that he was mocked and rejected and spit on when he should have been loved and adored and worshipped. But do we ever think about the pain that Jesus experienced in the relationship with his heavenly father? I heard a preacher named Tim Keller talk about this. See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was a son who needed his father. And when you read through the Gospels, you see, whenever Jesus spoke to God in prayer, he always addressed him by saying, Father. That's that's what he always said, except for once. Only one time did Jesus speak to God without calling him Father. Do you know when that was? It was on the cross. Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So why? At the time when Jesus most needed the love of a father, why did he not use the word father as he cried out? Well, you could point out that Jesus is quoting from the Psalms there, and that's certainly true. But I think there's something deeper going on. When Jesus is on the cross, the father is not coming to his rescue. The Father is not serving as a protector or a guardian. In that moment when Jesus took our sin upon his shoulders, the Father was not demonstrating his love. That must have been so painful for Jesus on top of all that other pain. But that was the cost. That's what it took for us to be redeemed. Keller puts it this way. He says, Jesus Christ lost the sonship that he deserved so that we could get the sonship we don't deserve. And if we really let this truth sink into our hearts, it will stop us in our tracks. God chose to adopt us, to free us from slavery, and Jesus paid a terrible price so that we could be redeemed. Friends, we are so loved. You are so loved loved. Never forget that. Very quickly, I need to mention two more blessings that come from being a child of God. We see one of them in the next verse, Galatians 4 verse 6 says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And you see what God does there. When, when you become his child, you receive a closeness with your heavenly father that is shocking, to be honest, because he doesn't just allow us to live near him, and he doesn't just allow us to approach him now and then. The Spirit of God makes his home inside of us. He lives within us, and we live within him. So being adopted by God means we have an undeserved access to God. This is an astonishing blessing. You get access to the creator of the universe. You have his attention. You have his ear. He will never be too busy for you. At any time of day, 
wherever you are, you can stop and call out to God, and you can be confident that He will listen. He will be with you. There's never a bad time to reach out to Him. You know, very small children do this by instinct. They will reach out to their father or cry out to their father just because they want to. They don't stop to ask if it might be a bad time. Oh, you, you just got home from work and you're tired? Or, oh, it's three in the morning? No, they don't, even, they don't think about being an inconvenience. It's kind of like, well, why wouldn't my father be happy to see me and happy to take care of me? That's how very young children act unless they're taught otherwise. And a good father does want to listen to his child and take care of his child. But, you know, I understand that some of us were not blessed with a dad who did a great job of showing love. And if that's the case for you, all this talk about being adopted by a heavenly father may be a little difficult to hear. But listen, our God is a good father. He's the perfect father. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you need his strength, he'll provide it. If you need his protection, he'll be there. It's so comforting when you know that the all-powerful God of the universe has got your back. You can literally say, well, I guess I don't have to worry about anyone or anything. If God is for us, who can be against us? Because of Jesus... We can have access to this protector, this provider, this father. There's one more blessing I want to point out today, and we see it in verse 7. In this verse, Paul says, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. An heir. We saw earlier that we're like a, a child slave who gets adopted into a wealthy family. So we get this instant change in status. You go from being very, very poor to very, very rich. Instead of living in slavery and poverty, we, go, we get to live in freedom. And we get to claim this great inheritance. But what exactly is that inheritance? Well, there's a lot we could say here, but I want to focus on just one thing. Being adopted by God means we have a guaranteed inheritance of glory. Now, does that sound like something you've always wanted, an inheritance of glory? Maybe not, but let's jump over to Paul's letter to the Romans where he expands on this idea. In Romans 8, Paul is writing on this very same theme, and listen to what he says, Romans 8 verse 14. For those of us who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So here in Romans, we have this same idea of becoming a child of God. And the rest of this should sound familiar too. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, we also saw that word Abba over in Galatians, didn't we? And I didn't explain it before, but Abba was an Aramaic term that you could roughly translate as daddy. It was a term of endearment, and it was used by a child who had a close and warm relationship with their father. And once again, how crazy is it that God would allow us to relate to him not only as father, but as daddy? <laughs> Let's keep going. And remember, we're looking for information about our inheritance. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, now we just read a couple of mind-blowing things. First, followers of Jesus are identified as co-heirs with Christ. It kind of sounds like you're, you're one of the siblings of Jesus. That seems almost inappropriate, doesn't it, that any of us would be co-heirs with Christ. And the truth is, we don't deserve this, but that's the effect of the gospel. Jesus redeemed us to give us a sonship that we don't deserve. So that's one thing. But one more thing to point out here. It's those last few words. It says that we may share in his glory. If we are in Christ, at least some of the glory that he deserves will be passed on to us. And make no mistake, receiving this glory will be an event like nothing you've ever seen In the next verse, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So what is that glory? What is it that will be revealed in us? Unfortunately, there's no way to find out until this life is over. But I tell you what, whatever is in your mind right now, it's completely insufficient. Think about this. What will it be like to enter the presence of God himself, to see Jesus face to face, and to be glorified in the reflection of his glory? What will it be like to be infused with unimaginable majesty and beauty and delight? Honestly, I wish I could tell you what that will be like, but I can't because I don't know. Here's what I believe, though. I believe when we're finally there, we'll say, so this is it. This this is what I've always wanted, but I never knew that I wanted it. And and this is the place where I always wanted to be, but there's no way I could have imagined what this place was really like. At that point, all the sufferings of this life, all the trials of this world will be completely forgotten because we will live in the glory of being a child of God. And we'll finally understand what family was always meant to be. We'll we'll finally know the true meaning of the word home. Because for the first time ever, we will be home. All of this because Jesus chose to redeem us. Because he bought our freedom. And because God chose to adopt us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a miracle that I get to call you Father. It's a miracle that I get to approach you because I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to be in your presence. I'm not good enough. I could never make myself good enough. But I thank you so much for Jesus. And I thank you for the sacrifice, the price that was paid to purchase our freedom. Lord, thank you for choosing us, for choosing to adopt us if we let you do that. Lord, I pray that the truths that we've seen here today will sink into our hearts and take hold of us. 
so that we don't have to be afraid anymore, so that we don't have to just walk through every day wondering if we're accepted by you. And Lord, if there is someone here right now who has not yet accepted this offer to be adopted, I pray that you will speak to them and they will respond and they will receive the blessings that come from being your child. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.